I was uh, 16 years old, I, I had this, like, just, I don't know, growing love and appreciation and hunger for the Bible. It was really kind of interesting. Um, you know, up until that point, I had grown up in church, and I read my Bible because I had to. Uh, my mom and dad uh, had me go to a private school for most of my life. Uh, they sent me to public school and figured out that that was not going to work good for me. So they said, you're going to a Christian school. And I started going to this Christian school, and, and one of the things that I, at the time, absolutely hated, but now I see as being in a tremendous amount of wisdom, is I went to this school that required us to memorize Bible verses all the time. So like every week, we'd have to memorize like three to four uh, you know, verses, and then once a, a quarter, we would be memorizing a large portion of Scripture. Like, we learned Psalm 91 or Psalm 139, and that was something that we would get tested on. And, and as a kid, I remember um, oftentimes, you know, my mom and dad, they essentially encouraged us to have devotionals in the morning. And our school I went to required it. They actually required that you spend time in the morning in the Bible. And, and I, I had developed this process where I'd wake up at 6 and I'd have my Bible and I'd open it and I would just put it right in my face and then I'd lay down on it. And when my mom would come in to wake me up for the third time, I'd be like, I'm praying as I was sleeping. I totally was sleeping. But I, I remember those days and just, you know, not really having a super appreciation for the Bible. But when I turned 16, um, all of a sudden I started having like this growing hunger and desire to spend more time reading scripture, just to just to, to really understand the Bible more and to learn more about Jesus. There was this interest that I really believe God was, was, was moving in my life to kind of stir me up. And so I started reading more and more of the Bible. And here's what I'm convinced of. I just want to throw this out there. Is I'm totally convinced that we as a collective community of followers of Jesus— I'm convinced that we need to spend more time in scripture and prayer and less time consuming media. Amen? Like, we need to spend less time on Facebook and more time in prayer. And we need to spend less time on Instagram and more time in the Bible. And, and I just think that because here's what's interesting. When I stop and think about what's shaping and forming us, just, just hear me out for a minute. Because the things that we consume are influencing us. Do we all know that? Do we all know that? Like, what you spend the majority of your time focused on is going to shape the worldview that you have. It's going to shape the way that you think and the way that you function. And so, just hear me out for a minute. Take any media, whether it's Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or Facebook or Wall Street Journal, whatever it is, Instagram. If you spend seven or eight hours a week on that, and you spend 20 minutes in the Bible, what do you think is making more of an impact on your life? Media! That's right! I mean, seriously. So I just want to, I want to kind of nudge you. I think we really need to kind of do some evaluation as to, like, how much we're being shaped and formed by by the authorities that have functioned in the life of the church, namely scripture and prayer. Prayer is a practice that helps form us and shape us. Uh, in fact, I was just, I was at a men's breakfast yesterday, and I was sharing how this is something I discovered uh, a while ago. I discovered that the people you don't like, anybody got somebody they don't like right now? I, of course, do not, but if I did. But what I found is the people I don't like, if I pray for them, my heart starts to change for those people. It's so frustrating. Like, I, there's people, I'm like, man, I just want to, uh, 
You know, I'll start, oh, pray for them. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. And I'll pray for them, and then I start to like them, and it's like, oh, oh you got me, Jesus. You got me, Jesus. And so we have to really just consider how we're being shaped and formed. And we need to spend more time participating in the practices and habits that help us become more like Jesus and spend less time being consumed by and consuming the things that will shape us into people who are not radically transformed by the gospel and the kingdom. And, and I love how the early church, in the early church, there was this, there was this uh, approach to the Bible that kind of springs up in different streams of the patristic, the church fathers and mothers. Because there's this idea about how the Bible is a diamond. And how if you hold up a diamond into the light, have you ever noticed if you just turn it a little, because we all have big diamonds, I know we do this, but if you, if you hold up a gem or a diamond and you hold it up into the sunlight, there's different reflections, right? And so the church fathers would say, hey, the, the scriptures are like that. If you hold it up to the light of Jesus and you just turn it a little bit, sometimes you'll have these different insights and revelations. And the more that I spend in the Bible, the more that I do believe that Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, was so correct when he said the word of God is living and active. And I really do believe that the Holy Spirit wants to be at work as we, as we read scripture, as we consume scripture, as we meditate on scripture, as we study the Bible, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Now, the challenge for us, I think, in today's world is to figure out how do we apply the Bible to our lives? Because I think that's what oftentimes keeps us from engaging in the Bible as we read a text of Scripture. We're like, I have no idea what to do with that. And that's the hard work that we need to do as a community of followers of Jesus, where we spend time reading and engaging the Bible and thinking about how it applies into our lives. So this morning, we are doing what we call Back to School Sunday. We've We've prayed for the students and the teachers. Um, I'm convinced the teachers need more prayer. Just convinced of it. But I'm also, um, you know, thinking that today we can nudge ourselves a little bit in a direction that the Holy Spirit seemed to this week just kind of kind of put a heavier weight on as I was praying and, and thinking and, and engaging in, in the Bible. And I think it's toward us investing more in the youth. But before we talk about that, I'd like to read a passage of scripture from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And it'll be on the screen, but if you want to turn to your Bible and your, on your phone app, this is a great text to maybe spend some time just meditating on and thinking on. But this is what Jesus, uh, what we read about Jesus in Mark 10, beginning of verse 13. It says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. That was awesome. I don't even know what that was, but I love it. Starting over, okay. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God, like a child, will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads. And blessed them. 
There's this very interesting study that I have recently um, been reading. It's from the Pew Research Center, and it's, it's kind of an interesting study because they basically did this huge poll and study uh, with teenagers, and this is, so, this is about teenagers, but um, what's fascinating about this study is the findings that this Pew Forum uh, study found, and so I just want to share a couple of the highlights of this. There's 10 things, but one of the things that they found uh, doing this huge study is that most teens share the religion of their parents or legal guardians, and that's across the board. Uh, whether people are faithful followers of Jesus or if people are not Christians at all. Teens have a tendency to share the same religion as their parents or guardians. Approximately half of the teens, 48% of them, say they have all the same religious beliefs as their parents. So that's a pretty high number. They also found that teens are just as likely as their parents to say they regularly go to religious services. I think the word regularly would be an interesting word to have a conversation about, but we'll move on. Teens are about as likely to say they go to religious services, mainly because their parents want them to, 38%, as to say they go mainly because they themselves want to go. So there's, a, there's kind of a split. Some, parents, some kids go because they're forced to, and then some go because they really feel like it benefits their lives. And then one other thing is many U.S. teens report having religious or spiritual experiences at least once or twice a month. The interesting thing about that part of the study is that when these teens talked about their experience, that they feel like there's some type of religious or spiritual thing, the primary feeling that they had was gratitude and thankfulness. That was the primary feeling that they had as they, as they were in t- thinking about their religious experiences. And so I think it's safe to summarize the study as indicating that parents and grandparents and guardians who prioritize their own faith and who regularly attend church gatherings and encourage their kids and teens to do the same, they see positive fruit. That's what this study reveals. And it reminds me that um, there's a promise we read in Proverbs 22, verse 6. This is a great just reminder for us as parents, I think, or people who are around kids. And the writer of Proverbs says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not. And that's partly my story. I mean, when I was growing up, my mom, my dad went along with what my mom said, like 99.9% of dads. But what my mom really did is she nudged my faith because as a young person, I was forced to do all these spiritual things. And at the time, I was like, this is so dumb. I hate these Bible verses. They're so boring. But years later, there's been times where I've gone through like really troubling, troubling seasons and I've had to really dig deep in those scriptures that were, were planted and placed in my heart as a young child have a tendency to, to come out. I mean, it's interesting because the psalmist also says, how can a young person, a young woman or a young man keep their way pure? By living according to your word. And then the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so those, those scriptures did make a difference in my life. And so here in Mark 10, there are several ways that we can apply this text. And, and I was, you know, cognitively aware of the fact that there's people in this room who, who aren't parents, or maybe you're a grandparent, or maybe you have not had a connection with your kids for a really long time, and so you might be wondering, like, how does this apply? Let me just tell you that I am convinced, without a shadow of a doubt, that it takes a community, a village, to raise children. Like, have you ever noticed 
with your kids, you can tell them something, and they look at you like you're a complete idiot, and then someone comes along and says the exact same thing, and they're like, that was the most smart thing I've ever heard. Right? I mean, I remember I used to do that. My mom and dad would sit me down and would talk to me about wisdom and, and virtues and really being, you know, being a person who had character. And, and I would just be like, oh, my gosh, this is so boring. And then there were people I looked up to in our church community that, that you know, I just, man, I thought the world of them. And when they spent a little bit of time in my life and would just say, hey, Luke, you know, have you ever considered this? It was like, no, I haven't. I've never even heard that before. You know, like, oh, my gosh, you're so smart. You know, why can't my parents be smart like you? You know, it's just how it works. And so I really am convinced that if you're a, if you, if you have a pulse, just check your pulse. If you breathe, if you are a human being, you actually can, can, can do some of these things because you can help other people and other young people and other kids be able to live into this truth that we're talking about. So, so there's a couple ways we can apply this text. First, I think it's important to see, though, verse 1 of this, of this passage. I'm sorry, verse 13, but the first verse. It says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. I think it's important to see that these parents, they took initiative to position their kids to encounter Jesus. I mean, how many of you would agree that if you woke up tomorrow and you found out your kids had some type of chronic illness or, or had some sickness and you were, you were like just absolutely concerned and worried about it, how many of you would do whatever it took and travel anywhere in the United States, maybe even another country, to do what you could to help your kids get healed? How many of you are good parents? Some of you are like, nope, not going to leave Red Bluff. <laughs> They're on their own. They're on their own. But for real, we would do that, right? Like, I mean, I love my kids so much, I would, I would do anything I can. I would do anything I can. We would tra- I would travel even to San Francisco. I would do it. I'd hate it, but I'd do it. We would do that. And so it was the same way in Jesus' day. It's the same way in Jesus' day. These parents have heard, heard the stories about this man named Jesus. They've heard about this man who is, who is healing the sick, who's, who's freeing people who have been oppressed by demonic forces. He, they've heard these stories about this man who has raised the dead and who has words of eternal life and who promises a kingdom that will never end. And, and what they do is they say, we have got to get this man to just lay hands on our kids and to bless them. We just need to do that. So they do that. And so that's one thing I think that we can learn from that is that we can position our kids, both as individuals, as parents, as grandparents, and as a community, in order for them to encounter God. And what's interesting about this text is that, unfortunately, Jesus' disciples, they were shaped more by society and culture at this time in how they treated the kids, right? Like, get these kids away. They shoo them away. They, they, they essentially tell them to, to get out of here. And this is what's fascinating. When you study ancient Jewish literature from around the same time as Jesus, as well as, you know, hundreds of years uh, before that, and then even if you study the first couple hundred years of church history, there is nobody in all of history who had as compassionate and loving an approach to kids as Jesus. No, but even the early church didn't quite get it because culture and society in the ancient world did not see children as having very much value. The only value that they had was would they be able to work? Would they be able to contribute into the family name? And so it's really interesting to me 
um, that this simply means, though, for us that Jesus loved his, he loved kids more than we could ever imagine. And so these parents and these guardians, they saw, they saw this as an opportunity to follow through on the responsibility that they had, and they wanted their kids to experience the presence and power of God. And I think that's pretty and this is why I think that as a community, um, we, need to, we need to continue to invest and to value um, the work that Carissa, our chaos manager, does, right? And we need to value um, Sean Michaels and, and his team and all the different volunteers that are in this room that are spending time on Sundays and throughout the week to invest in kids. You, you matter. You are making a difference. I mean, I, I, could, I will cry if I, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> When I was uh, 15 years old, my dad uh, went to prison for a year. I, I, some of you know this, and it was like the most challenging. When you're 15 years old, you need your dad around to smack you in the face. And I didn't have that. And so I got angry, and I was, I'm kidding about smacking in the face, by the way, but I probably didn't need that. But I, I just needed a dad. And I, and I didn't have one. It was really hard. And so what happened is I got angrier and bitter and unforgiving, and I had all these, this just really terrible stuff that was just in here. But there were a couple of men in our church community, and there were a couple of men that were part of our youth group that, as dorky as they were, they were the dorkiest. I mean, one dude had a mullet. He had a mullet. Now, I know in Red Bluff, people are like, that was cool. I know, but he had this long mullet, and he listened to the music I hated. His name was Wayne Street. I'll never forget. And he he just constantly was trying to spend time with me, and he made a difference in my life when I was 15 and 16 years old. And I went in a minute, like, I, when I was trying to figure out my calling, and I was like, man, I, I don't know what to do with my life. It was my youth pastor at first who sat me down and said, hey, man, you might have a calling to be involved in ministry. And I remember being like, that was the worst death sentence ever. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die? Like, I have sickness? What's wrong with me, you know? But it was these, these, these men, and then there were these women that just loved on me, too. They made a difference in my life. And so I just want to nudge you to say, as a parent, you need to invest in your kids' spiritual lives. Like, not just talk about it. Not just be like, amen, so, yeah, I post my Facebook Bible verse. I think my kids see it. I'm talking about seriously positioning your kids to have an encounter with Jesus. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful for those people that did that. I'm grateful for the people that do that here because I can tell you at the time I hated it and despised it, but it paid off later because those seeds that were planted began to be watered by the breath and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they came to fruition. And I've got 25 years now of pastoral experience where I can tell you I meet with parents and grandparents all the time and say, I really regret that I didn't do that really regret that I didn't take the time to, to encourage them and to nudge them in that direction. And here's the tension. I mean, the reality is that none of us in this room can force anybody to have faith. I can't. I mean, people that try that, it doesn't work. But what you can do, I think, is you can, you can constantly point people to Jesus. You can have these conversations. You can keep on praying for your kids and your grandkids. I mean, I would not be here today if it wasn't for a praying mom. And many of you in this room would not be here today if it wasn't for a praying grandma or a praying mom, amen? Like, that's just reality. 
praying grandfathers and praying fathers. And so there's definitely a tension here where you can't force your kids to have faith, but, but and, and it's not about being legalistic. I'm not saying like regularly the 10 means 365 days of the year you're at church. No, but I mean, like, do your kids know that your faith is a priority? And are you doing all that you can to encourage their faith? If you're not, it's, it's definitely time to maybe, maybe lean in a different direction. Because I think that Jesus is very eager to encounter our kids. That's what I think is really beautiful about this text. Is that Jesus was so, so delighted to bless these children. And so, you know, you might feel like, oh, I'm not sure not sure how to do it, but here's the deal. Jesus really does want to engage your kids. And so our relationship with the church, I think, should be a church relationship that is one of partnership where we're working together to see our kids come to know Jesus. And and there's a forgotten way, you know, that's happening right now. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I know many of us, I think many of us are, are, are concerned about the way that society is changing. Right? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. It is getting more and more insane. And so we need to really think about the virtues and the character that we're developing in people. And I'm just telling you right now, it, we have to live that out ourselves first and foremost, but we also need to do what we can to increase those virtues and the character that is absent in a lot of today's society. And, and I was talking to a friend about this because I've been seeing over the course of the last 15 I mean, 20 years ago, it was, it was something I observed. 15 years ago, it was something I observed. In the last two and a half years, it's gotten even worse. And I was talking to this friend. I'm like, man, it's just like people are just so disengaged. People who check the box, follower of Jesus, have no connection to a local church. They don't spend any time reading their Bible, and they never pray. And I don't know about you, but that is a problem. It is why our our, the church has lost its way in many different you know, di- different forms. And so I was talking to a friend about this, and, and, and we were talking about this idea that if you don't value your faith, your kids may still attend church, but more than likely your grandkids will not. That's, that's what the studies show us. And this is what my friend Brent messaged me, and this is, I think, really insightful. He, he said, he wrote this to me. He said, we're just in a period now where we're losing faith in institutions across the board. Somehow we're blind to the beneficial role institutions play in creating cohesion and durability. Listen to that. Cohesion and durability. Definitely what I think is bad is our reactionary response. Rather than doing the hard work of reform, the tendency is just to walk away. That is what's happening in American Christianity in the last two and a half years, more so than at any point in time. And I guess my point is that study after study reveals that if we, as adults and guardians and, and people in, in the church community, if we spend time like leaning into and encouraging and being faithful and, and trying to stimulate um, growth in, in, in kids' faith, there's fruit from that. There is total fruit from that. And so again, I think it comes to what Jesus' words here in this text are about. So that's, that's kind of like the first thing that I think we can, we can kind of grab from this passage. Is that those parents set the tone for something we can do. They brought the kids to Jesus. They said, Jesus, we want you to bless them. And that's something I think we can probably do better at. But there's another part of the story that I think is really interesting. Is this idea of becoming like children. I mean, Jesus says these words. He says, I tell you the truth. 
anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. I don't know about you, but I'm convinced I want to go to heaven. And I don't want to go to hell. Red Bluff has cured the hell desire that I have. I mean, I'm just telling you, like, I want to be in eternity with God. So how do we become like children? How do we become like children so we can inherit the kingdom of God? And that's kind of the second point. So first thing, let's all be like the parents who position kids to encounter Jesus, who position young people to encounter Jesus. And the second point is that we need to become like Jesus ourselves. This is one of the ways that biblical scholar James Edwards defines this becoming like children. I think this is the most helpful thing I've read in a while. He says this. He says, to receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, and no claims. A little child has absolutely nothing to bring, and whatever a child receives, he or she receives by grace on the basis of sheer neediness rather than by any merit inherent to him or herself. Little children are paradigmic disciples for only empty hands. So the whole idea of becoming like a child is that we become vulnerable. We, we embrace our, our spiritual weakness. In other words, we, we become vulnerable and we recognize the sheer emptiness that we have without God's grace. And if we lean into that type of a approach to the world, that we will experience the kingdom of God as Jesus promised. So I guess, it, you know, in conclusion, it's like we need to embrace kids. We need to invest in kids. Um, we need to focus on kids, and we need to do our best to encourage young people, students, teens, to, to be um, investing in their spiritual lives. I mean, we want to set people up for success. And what the studies are showing us is that Jesus was actually right. Jesus was actually right. When he, when he nudges us toward this, he actually um, was right. I mean, the studies show us that people who don't do this, they spend the next 30 years wondering why they hadn't done it and wishing that they had. So let's stand up together. As I was praying this morning, and just kind of even during the music, um, music time. I was just kind of just listening to the Holy Spirit. I just felt like the Lord wanted us to lean into a couple things. Um, you know, like the, the Proverbs are really interesting because if I had to like summarize all 31 of the Proverbs into like a couple things, one thing that's really very clear in the Proverbs is this, is that there is a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to death. There's a, there's a wise way to live, and then there's a foolish way to live. And, and I just think that we need to really, really meditate on and lean into those virtues uh, of wisdom. And, like, it's sometimes, sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to parent or to influence people? Super hard. It's the, it's the most challenging, difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And, and so sometimes there's, like, an easy way out, but we miss out on a lot of opportunities, though. So I, I felt like that was one thing, is we need to need to really pursue wisdom. And there's a few of you in this room that you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been in a situation where you you like you don't know what to do, you don't know what decision to make, and you are you are without an answer. And, and I just felt like the Lord said this morning um, that we're going to pray for you because there's a Bible verse that says if anyone lacks wisdom, 
Let us ask of God, and God will reward us generously. He gives with, he gives with, with just, he doesn't withhold the desire for wisdom. So he will give you that. And then, I, I, secondarily, I, I just felt like um, there's a number of you who have some regrets, and you've been, been living in that, like you even feel a little guilty right now. Like, oh man, I wish I had done this. Why didn't I do that? And I, I just want to tell you that I don't think that's the Holy Spirit. It definitely can be the Holy Spirit to bring a little bit of conviction, or a great deal of conviction. But if you're feeling shame, or you're feeling like there's no hope, that's not Jesus, amen? That's not the kingdom. What I think what Jesus wants to do is to capitalize on maybe the fact that you still have an opportunity right now to influence your kids. Because as a kid, I'm going to tell you right now, I still listen to my mom and dad. You know, like when they speak, I'm like, even though I don't even, maybe even agree with what they're saying, I'm still like, I got to wrestle with that. I got to think about that a little bit. And so I just felt like the Lord was saying, it's not too late. It's not too late for your kids. Amen? It's not too late that Jesus is very eager to lean into that. And so I'm going to ask, yeah, you come on up. I was looking for Scott. I was like, where is Scott? Oh, right there. Ask God to come up, and He's just going to play. Let's just let's just wait on the Holy Spirit for a minute, because I think that we can have a little opportunity for prayer. So why don't you close your eyes if that's helpful for you, and maybe just position yourself to be able to hear a bit from the Holy Spirit. And maybe the Lord will will give you some other ways that you can apply these truths into your life. So I do pray right now, Lord, those words, those those traditional historic words that Christians have been praying for thousands of years now, come Holy Spirit.
So I, I, we want to just take a moment and pray for anybody who is uh, was connecting with the desire for more wisdom. So if you're here this morning, um, I, you know, I maybe you maybe you have some situation that you feel like is totally impossible and you do not know the answer or the solutions, but you need wisdom. Here's what I'd love to do is because we believe that our church community is a community full of people who can hear from the Lord and who are who are empowered and who have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We don't want our church to be um, just like led by one person to do all the ministry. What we want to do is be a community where we can pray for each other. And so if you're here this morning and you say, yeah, I, I need some wisdom. I just, I'm like totally stuck. I don't know how to deal with X, Y, Z. I'm just going to ask you right now to do something brave and just to, just to raise your hand right now so we can take a moment to pray for you. Okay, just keep your hand up if it's okay. Okay, so here's where we're going to try to get involved as a church community. If you see somebody with their hands up and you are comfortable with that, would you just go over and put your, just walk over to them if you feel comfortable and, and let's just pray for one another for just a few minutes here. There's some hands over here. Sue's right here. Sue, can you use it? Katrina, are your hands up? Okay. Your hands are up, but not up. Huh? Okay. All right. There's somebody back there. Or you got okay. Okay. So, Holy Spirit, would you come right now and just fill every single one of these people that needs more of your presence, more of your wisdom. And if you're, if you're, if you've laid your hand on their shoulders, feel free to pray right now for God to give them wisdom. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for all these parents in here and everyone that's praying for one another and meeting each other where they're at. God, I thank you that when we come to you and we ask with our whole hearts that, that you respond. You don't leave us hanging. I pray that everybody in this room would have a really great week, God, and um, I just pray that they would all see what you're doing in their lives all around them. Thank you very